Today, we are facing a pandemic of obesity and a rise in diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, and a lot more. Our sedentary work lives, processed food, and general chosen outlets of entertainment and leisure all have a role to play in this downfall. The church in her wisdom has something to say about this. Learn how your growth in physical wellness and fitness goes hand in hand with your strengthening of faith and virtues on today's episode. Stay with us. Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Gentleman Podcast. We're happy you're with us. Um, we are your co-hosts, Sam Guzman and John Heinen. And today we are joined by a multi-talented guest to talk to us about taking care of our bodies and souls simultaneously. So before we get to, before we get to that, though, just an introduction to our guest, Dr. Kevin Voss. He is the author of 20 books, including Memorize the Faith and How to Think Like Aquinas. And he's taught psychology at a number of colleges and universities today. He's focused on scholastic philosophy, modern cognitive psychology, and highly high-intensity strength training with uh, a blend of Catholic teachings on spiritual and physical fitness. He is a member of the Research Review Committee for American Mensa, which promotes the scientific study of human intelligence. And Dr. Voss, if you've followed our podcast for any amount of time, has been uh, on the podcast before uh, teaching us how to memorize lots of things. So um, or, uh, hopefully you remembered that he is a former guest. Uh, but anyway, th thanks for so much for being with us, Dr. Voss. It's my pleasure to be with you, Catholic gentlemen, today. Yeah, and as we mentioned, you know, the, the, there's this topic of Health and wellness is all over our culture today, while simultaneously there is this, as we mentioned in the teaser, kind of this pandemic of, of uh, unhealth or dis-ease um, kind of spreading across the country, fueled by all kinds of different factors. But the point being that there's just kind of this, this uh, tension in our culture between this like fitness culture uh, that is all about um, being cut and lean and working out and, you know, uh, CrossFit and, and all of these different things. But then there's also this, this simultaneous impulse in our culture to uh, physical comfort, um, laziness, if you will, if you want to put it in those terms, um, you know, unhealthy diet uh, that's, you know, fueled by fast food and a lot of other things. So I guess just to get started, um, what are you observing kind of from your, your view uh, of these trends in our culture? And what do you feel like is driving them uh, to the extent that, uh, that, that we see? Yeah, th those are good and very important questions. And I, I kind of come about, about them from a few different angles that I've been a lifelong uh, weightlifter and strength trainer. So I've always mm. been interested in exercise. My formal training was in psychology, yes, with a specialty area in, in memory. And I also did work, uh, my doctoral dissertation working at Alzheimer's Center. So I'm very much into cognitive functioning and what happens with us as we, as we age. And also it happened to be my full-time career from 1984 to 2016 
was doing both mental and physical disability claims for the Social Security Administration. So during that time, I would read five, six, seven hundred people's complete medical records every year. And I was kind of there during that time as I kind of right when this epidemic rose. So I was able to look at this and say, boy, you know, we see far more people with obesity than we used to. And the levels, the BMI, the body mass index are much higher than we used to see. Mm. Oh, epi uh, diabetes is, you know, everywhere now. This new phenomenon of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease kept coming up in cases. It used to be we saw liver disease. We thought, well, this person's battling alcoholism. But no, it, it has changed. Our diet has had a strong impact on what's gone on to, to damage our livers. So I think, you know, it's multifactorial for sure why these epidemics have risen. Uh, but I think, in my own opinion, the most prominent reason is that we had pretty significant uh, dietary changes that were actually recommended to us starting in the late 70s, the early 80s, that, that moved us toward uh, kind of away from traditional diets that had a little bit bigger emphasis on protein and fat and more towards uh, carbohydrate, but, but not just carbohydrate. It moved us away from traditional foods, you know, meat and fish and eggs and dairy and fruits and vegetables and grains and moved us more and more towards processed packaged foods because they started altering these foods to lower uh, the fat content. And the next thing we knew, uh, like, like studies show now, children and adolescents eat about 67% of their daily diet is these ultra processed foods. Only less than a third are real foods. And this has been monitored over time and it's risen. So, so in my opinion, one of the fundamental factors is this change in the way we eat and kind of a corollary with that, if we're not properly nourishing our bodies, we're also going to be hungrier and more tired. So we're not going to exercise as much. We're not going to be as physically active in our daily lives as we used to be. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think it's, and we all see it and we're all feeling it, whether someone's willing to admit that or not. I know that when I, which I did on birth of my fourth child, end up not working out for like four or five years. And I mean, the let's just say the preventative measures um is a lot easier to stick with than the recovery um you know after that delay but something you mentioned that i wanted to go back to my wife and i are really into and i know sam and his wife are into kind of more holistic and you know i don't want to say uh necessarily organic but naturopathic ways of of allowing the body to to heal itself and take care of itself and i read recently about a clinic in um in California that is actually reversing the decline in Alzheimer's within their patients by just changing their diet. And um, have you heard about that? Is that something that uh, that you talk about in your book or, or is common knowledge? Uh, I just remember being completely shocked by that and, and that it literally is just changing the food and the input that's going into the human body is, is reversing this um, decline among those individuals. Yeah, that particular place and study, I may not be aware. I'll have to do research. But but the general trend there, yes, there, there are some people that are calling Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes, another mm -hmm. form of the brain being kind of de deprived of its proper nutrition over decades that causes the buildup of these amyloid, the, these substances in the brain. So when I did my <clears throat> doctoral dissertation on early Alzheimer's disease, it was in uh, 1997, and at that point in time, there was almost nothing you could you could do. The medicines were minimally effective. There was almost nothing that I was aware of on the nutrition field mm -hmm. dealing with Alzheimer's. But 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 now uh, there is. 
people are seeing how nutrition can impact Alzheimer's and other, other mental disorders as well, schizophrenia, the way it impacts our mood. So this is now a growing uh, body of knowledge. Uh, so, so Alzheimer's, it's very possibly now may be impacted positively by the way we change our diets. And if more and more people are eating the right way when they're younger, we may hopefully see a decline in the incidence. But I will say another disorder, uh, diabetes mellitus itself, that the type two that adults are more likely yeah. to get. There, there's definitely been some powerful studies I'm aware of that show people reversing their diabetes, no longer requiring insulin or other medicines. You know, a lot of the people, when they're able to control their blood sugars by eating the proper kind of of whole real food. So just amazing potential there that really impacts almost almost every uh, physical or mental disorder you could think of. Yeah, I mean, it makes so much sense. And and uh, the old saying, you know, you are what you eat or, or whatever, it like really does seem to ring true uh, in, in a lot of ways. But I have so many questions about this topic, but I want to back up just a little bit and talk about how you got interested in this. Because you know, based on your career, I mean, you, you have a PhD, you, you've studied, you know, Thomas Aquinas extensively and the virtues. And again, this idea of memory and, and so many different facets and, and, and maybe this is an unfair characterization, but it seems like a lot of times in our culture, it's either you're an academic or you're physically fit, but you know, by and large, it's one or the other, uh, you know, you're either all head or all body, one of the two, but you're not usually both. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey, uh, getting interested in weightlifting and physical development, and ultimately getting to the point where you felt like there needs to be a book uh, about the integration of our, our body, our mind, our soul, like, and, and bringing those worlds together. Um, cause that, that, that's not a, a combination you see very often. Yeah. Well, I can go, go way, way back <laughs> to the, the early 1960s. And the guy who really got this going for me was he flew across a TV screen and leaped over tall buildings. It was, it was a character of Superman. When I was little, I wanted to be Superman. <laughs> In fact, people called my mom Superman's mom. Cause I went around wearing the suit <laughs> half of the time, just totally mesmerized. But by the time I got to about second, you know, I loved him too because, you know, he had all this physical power, but he's always using it for good. You know, truth, justice, in the American way. He, he was humble. It's like, man, this guy has it all, these amazing powers, and he's just a good person and he uses it for good. But by the time I was about second grade or so, I think I realized, you know, I, I can't be Superman. That's never going to happen. But I saw a weightlifter on TV. It might have been the 68 Olympics. I thought, now that maybe mm -hmm. I can do. So I became fascinated. I had my dad get me a barbell set when I was in second grade and I played around with them for several years. But I remember from seventh grade on, so it's probably like 1973 or so, I've been training consistently since then. So I've always just uh, loved that physical activity. And later on, just in my own personal interest, I was always interested in, in uh, the classics and philosophy and psychology. I love the Greeks and Romans. I was aware of their idea of, you know, a healthy mind and a healthy body that really uh, appealed to me. Well, to make, you know, I, I grew up as a Catholic. I spent about 25 years as an atheist through, through reading some of the wrong kind of philosophers. Mm. I, about from about the age of 18 to 43, then at 43, the Holy Spirit led me through a series of events to read St. Thomas Aquinas for the first time. So I'm like, oh, all these arguments of the atheists, they'd been answered a long, long time ago, you know, and I wasn't aware of it. So, so anyway, I was able to come back to Christ in the church then, uh, when was that, 2004, and I did, I wrote that first book, Memorize the Faith, because, 
you know, my specialty area in psychology was memory, and Thomas Aquinas is actually considered one of the fundamental figures in the history of our understanding of human memory and how to perfect it. And so was his teacher, St. Albert uh, the Great. So anyway, after I wrote Memorize of Faith, I remember my, my editor, Todd Aglialora, was over at Sophia at the time. He, he knew I was interested in faith and fitness, and I'd read some, like, I'd written, like, some muscle magazine articles on, on health and fitness. So I remember he asked me back then if I'd be interested in writing a book about the Catholic approach to, to the physical body, you know, and faith and fitness. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. But then I thought to myself, but, but what exactly is that? You know, yeah. I just recently come back to the church, so I had to do my study. And, and the more I dug in, the more I realized uh, we have a tremendous heritage of valuing the human body. You know, the church has always taught that, that we are a composite of body and soul. And though our, the soul will depart the, our body at death, when Christ comes again at the second coming after the final judgment, we're going to be reunited with bodies, you know, throughout eternity. And hopefully we'll be in heaven one day and have these magnificent glorified bodies. So the church has always greatly valued the body. And then I also read, you know, some of our recent, fairly recent popes would, would meet with groups of athletes most particularly uh, Pope St. John Paul II, also Pope Pius XII. And I, I came across some sources that gave many of their quotes, and I was kind of wowed with the church's wisdom of how we can uh, properly appreciate the human body. That Pope Pius, one of his favorite quotes, he says, like, the Catholic Church is fully in favor of physical culture, which is like an old-fashioned name for, for taking care of the body that I really like, that physical culture. But he says the Catholic Church is wholeheartedly in favor of that, if it's kept in proper proportion. Then he mm -hmm. lays out what he means by that, that, that fitness itself doesn't become an idol, that it doesn't drain us, that it doesn't draw us away from other important life commitments, uh, and so on. So I did do a book back in 2007 called, called Fit for Eternal Life that was really focused a lot on exercise and, and fitness. But as the years went by, I, I kept training. I kept strong as I got older. But I realized I was feeling more tired. My waistline was, was increasing. And just doing that strength training, cardiovascular training, wasn't enough. But, but then about two years ago, I, I did all kinds of new reading on nutrition. And I tried to apply some of these principles to myself. And I was just flabbergasted by how powerful they were. So then I wanted to do a new book, show what I've learned since then, and really impact the power of nutrition and move from an emphasis, not only physical fitness, you know, what, what can I do? How strong am I? How fast am I? But health, how can I keep myself as free from disease as possible? Keep myself functioning, you know, so I'm there for my family and friends as long as I can be. Wow, that's terrific. I, and it is really exciting. I'm just going to affirm what Sam brought up that both an intelligent academic, accomplished author, and into fitness is, is rare to come by. And so I, um, yeah, I'm really excited about what you were saying. Uh, let's talk about a couple of those things that the church has stated um, regarding the importance of this. Maybe even go into uh, the realm of our moral obligation to take care of ourselves and to um, moderate things. Because I liked what you said about um, fitness, uh, you know, not becoming an idol. But at the same time, what's the appropriate balance? And I'd love to hear you talk just a little bit about that. Sure, sure. And, you know, of course, the, the, like the name of this new book, You Are That Temple, is coming from St. Paul. You know, some yeah. of his words telling us our body in multiple places are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to glorify God by using being proper stewards of our own body. And as a big fan of St. Thomas Aquinas, I know when he talks about the, the virtue of love or charity, and he goes into the, the great and second greatest commandment that Christ gave us, you know, to love, basically to love God with everything that we are, 
and to love our neighbor as ourself, Thomas breaks down every part. And he says, you know, basically, by the way, when we're told to love ourselves, that means that we love not only our souls, but our bodies too. We're required to take proper uh, proper care of them, to show God honor, show him the gratitude to keep mm. these wonderful gifts of our bodies, you know, functioning as well as we're, as we're uh, able to. And another theme I pulled from Thomas is that he, he writes elsewhere, you know, very extensively about the virtues, what, what perfects our soul. But Thomas says, as the virtues are to our soul, so are things like health and beauty and fitness to our bodies. So I use the phraseology sometimes, the virtues of fitness. If we're going to grow in virtue, it's going to help perfect our souls and, and also our bodies. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, there's an awareness of uh, the spiritual dimension of the person that I think is something that that is kind of missed in our culture sometimes. I mean, you, you look around uh, and it, if you do get a, a fitness book or a fitness magazine or even, a, you know, a nutrition book, there's a strong emphasis on the body alone and almost no emphasis on the soul whatsoever. Um, and sometimes it could also be tinged with kind of like a, a moral component in our culture where there's there's like a uh a shaming or like a you're a bad person if you eat poorly or things like that and and i guess i'm wondering what is what what first of all like what is what is the awareness of the soul how does that change how we approach these issues and second is it a moral issue like is it a something that is a sin if you if your BMI is not within a certain range or something like that, you know, where where someone starts to like maybe get a little scrupulous about that or or whatever. So like I guess I guess uh, to sum it up, yeah, like what what is the the dimension of the soul add to this conversation and and what is the potential morality one way or another? Yeah, th th those are, are great questions, and it's all very relevant. And one thing I probably should say from the start, especially when we're talking about you know, the, the obesity epidemic, you know, I do want to point out, you know, you can't really like measure a person's degree of gluttony or sloth by yeah. putting them on a scale. That's not what this is about. Even, you know, even part of my argument is just the way we've learned to eat in recent decades has made us more inclined to eat too much and, and to exercise too little. So it's not, so it's in that way, it's what we're taking into our body may make it us appear to have these spiritual deficiencies that we're feeding ourselves right. We might find, hey, I'm not hungry all the time. Hey, I have the energy to go out and do those things. So yes, yeah, so there's no intention here of, of shaming anyone. I also include a chapter about people with, with physical and mental disabilities. Because, you know, regardless of what our bodies look like, if we're born with deformities, if we develop disease, we're all masterpieces of God's creation. Our bodies are all beautiful in the fact that they house our souls, our intellect, in our will. So yes, there's no intention here to shame anyone, but if but if someone is unsatisfied with how they look, with how they feel, the goal is to inspire them to do that and to show God gratitude by the fact that they're trying to make a, di a difference here. But so yeah, so the virtues, the spiritual development closely entwined, you know, in body and soul. So like another way I look at this, for example, I talk about the virtues of fitness. You know, we know that the cardinal virtues of fortitude or courage, temperance or self-control, uh, justice and, and prudence or practical wisdom. So I say, well, in terms of caring for our body, you know, fortitude, St. Thomas says, is the ability to overcome difficult obstacles or to endure difficulties. And I say, well, strength training is all about overcoming difficult obstacles. Cardiovascular training is all about enduring stuff that may, may be uncomfortable. Temperance, you know, involving that, that self-control, that self-moderation, obviously can play a role in the way we eat. 
Uh, as for prudence or practical wisdom, well, yeah, here, here's where it ties into being sensible in the way we take care of our bodies. You know, if you're a young guy and you're working full time and you've got several kids in the house, can you practically think you're going to get up and spend an hour every day training? You know, probably not, you know, hmm. but, but can we learn simple ways? Maybe you could spend a half an hour once a week and that might make a real difference. So, so prudence involves you know, learning, get this practical judgment that will apply to our own they our own nutritional and fitness routines. So, so they're practically wise. And then as far as justice, you know, giving each person their rightful due, the way I try to address that is by looking at the special needs of particular groups, like it might be women as opposed to men, or older people as opposed to people in the middle of life, or younger children, or even the pre-born children, or even learning more and more about the importance of what a woman eats during uh, uh, pregnancy. So anyway, you know, I say that these virtues are all intertwined, but as Catholics, the overriding virtue of them all should be that charity uh, or that love. So I say, hopefully, we're going to build ourselves not up, not to say, look at how muscular that guy is, or look at how strong, or look at how fast he can run, you know, but, but to give God the honor and glory to say, you know, I appreciate this body you've given me. I'm going to try to perfect it as much as I can. And then I'm going to try to use that energy to do good things, you know, to do, we talk about corporal works of mercy, taking care of actual people's bodies. Well, we want to take care of our own and then also try to help other people take care of our own. So in the way I see it, you know, the, the, the virtues of the body, the virtues of the soul are deeply intertwined in what we are as human beings. And I think that the church has, has always recognized and endorsed this. Yeah, for sure. I really like that attitude of gratefulness that you offered, right? Because because when we love and appreciate something, we are grateful for it. And if we can love and appreciate our body that God has given us to be his instrument of grace for this world, um, you know, to, um, you know, co-create and to, um, you know, live out, be fruitful, multiply and live out his will for our lives. It is something to be grateful for. And I do. I think that attitude of gratefulness really does change the heart and the intent of a lot of this. I really appreciated your your balancing as well of ages. Obviously, you know, you you strike a chord when you talk about <laughs> fathers with a lot of kids as Sam and I both are in in the heat of that and and balancing that out. And that takes um, that takes practice. That takes conversation with the spouse that takes um, prayer. But um, but it's it maybe we could say that it's. It is an obligation, though, to think about these things and to um, to do our best within our current situation and environment to improve upon our our physical health. Would that be an appropriate thing to say? I think exactly. You know, and I can remember back to the days when I was like you guys with the young children and working. And at times mm -hmm. I was doing some part time teaching, just very, very busy life. And there were there were years, even though I just always lived and breathed weightlifting, there were probably several years where I did it one time a week only. You know, mm -hmm. that was all I could really squeeze in. But it made a difference. It, 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 a small amount. It's kind of like the, a powerful medicine. If you do take a small dose, you know, even on a fairly infrequent basis, it can make a real difference. And that's one message I try to get across, too. Some people may have this all or none idea. Well, I'm too busy to go to the gym every day, so I might as well do nothing. Well, no, there may be small things you could do, and you may not even have to go to the gym. There could be a handful of exercises you can just do in your own house with your own body weight that might take a few minutes. It might take you know 10 or 15 minutes. That, that can make a difference. It can help keep you fit and strong when you have all those, those children and other responsibilities to take care of. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to get practical here in a minute in the sense of talking about nutrition and some of the things that you mm -hmm. cover in the book. 
before we get there, there's there's a common theme that I hear among Catholics that I have mixed feelings about, and I'd love to get your your take on it. But basically, it's this idea that you know, okay, St. Paul says uh, that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you never ever do anything unhealthy. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, and they're very selective of how this is applied. By the way, like birthday cake, fine. But like a drink of alcohol, you know, never, you know, never smoke anything ever, like just, you know, but, you know, a bowl of ice cream, sure, you know, or whatever, you know, but, but regardless, regardless of how you choose to apply that, like this, this kind of uh, all or nothing approach to, well, if your body is a vessel of the Holy Spirit or a temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore nothing unhealthy is ever allowed. And if you ever cross that line, you're falling into sin. You're abusing the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, you're leading to death and decay. <laughs> like just all these things. So, like, what what would be your what would be your response? And I'm sure you cover this in the book. But what would be your response to that kind of all or nothing approach to taking care of yourself? Yeah, there and yeah, and I, I I'm not there. You know, again, going back to the idea that, that many virtues do involve some kind of a golden mean, a moderation, not too much, not too little. And, you know, there's even an article in the Summa where where Thomas says, basically, is it a sin not to love wine? You know, not to appreciate these special gifts that God. <laughs> oh, and he has to argue why it might be a sin if you, if you just totally didn't acknowledge the fact that the wine can have its uses. You know, and Scripture mentions that. Uh, you know, in a few places, of course, Jesus Christ, of course, uh, we use water and wine. We, uh, you know, of course, wine is a part of uh, the, the ceremony of the Eucharist itself. So, yeah, there, there, no. Like, like myself, do I do I smoke a cigar or something? No, but that's just because when I was a kid and went to the bowling alley with my next door neighbor's friend's dad, he would lock us up in the car and smoke a cigar and it made me nauseous. So I can't tolerate them. But if I liked cigars, I certainly would enjoy one once in a while. Mm -hmm. I do mention in the book my own little guilty pleasure, sort of, is I usually have a couple cocktails every day, whiskey or brandy. And recently, I've really gotten into these fortified uh, or port wines as well. But it's a limited amount. You know, I'm not drinking to the point of, of drunkenness. So no, I, I say, yeah, we don't want to go overboard here. Uh, you know, th there are these things that, that uh, you know, like a cigar smoking or a pipe smoking or alcohol or the occasional special treat that I think can indeed be part of a normal, healthy uh, lifestyle. Of course, there'd be certain substances you wouldn't want to touch at all, you know, certain certain drugs that can have a potent effect from the very start, things like that. No, but 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 the simple pleasures of humanity, I think, that have been around for a long, long time, you, you can honor your body and also show God gratitude by, by enjoying these special things that, that, that uh, exist. Everything that exists came from God. So so yeah, I, I wouldn't go to extremes there. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's interesting because I think you go into this book in the book as well as like offering up these sacrifices, like giving, like maybe saying no to, to a cocktail or saying no to sugar, you know, for the sake of, of a, um, a particular intention. And I heard recently of a father of 16 kids who, um, uh, quite a few adopted, but, um, who gave up sugar candy his entire life for the sake of his family. And I was, I was just powerfully moved by that. I was talking to his son, who is uh, a really um, 
excellent young man and uh was like oh my goodness i don't i don't sacrifice enough for my family <laughs> but uh but let's talk about that let's go into that let's talk about the importance of of fasting the importance of of abstaining from from certain pleasures and things of that for our, our spiritual growth and wellness i believe um in the synopsis that i read on your new book coming out that that's something you touch on Yes, yes, because like the, the fasting itself is a phenomenon that that I never really cared for, or thought much about. Again, growing up in this weightlifting obsessed bodybuilding world, the idea was if you're not oh, constantly yeah. pumping nutrients into your body, you're shrinking. Yeah, <laughs> and every weightlifter just wants to get bigger and stronger all the time. So, so I you know didn't didn't like that aspect of fasting on from its physical aspect. And in growing up, you know, the official church fasts, I would do those, you know, abstaining from meat on Fridays and Ash Wednesday and so on, or just the fat, the brief uh, fast before the Eucharist. But but just in recent years, I have learned, uh, become much more appreciative of both the spiritual uh, and the physical value of, of fasting. Uh, you know, the church is off, you know, taught that we have periods of fasting and periods of feasting. You know, we have that, that, that moderation there. So yes, it's definitely a part of, of honoring your body can be denying yourself at times those things that you actually uh, genuinely want to have. Like I'm amazed with that father with, with uh, the sugar. Yeah. Now I will <laughs> say that uh, the last two years, I eat almost no sugar unless I'm at a, a baby shower and someone wants to hand me a piece of cake they made. I'm not going to say, here, don't put it in the garbage. I'm, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to yeah. enjoy that. Uh, but, but for myself, for, for certain kinds of things, I do find substitutes. I, I may use, uh, I don't put sugar in my cocktails if I'm making old fashioned or something, but I may mm. use a more natural sweetener like stevia or monk fruit or something. But yeah, yeah but there, there are many, many ways that we can look at both our diet, you know, and, and our exercises, not just tending the body, but tending the soul. And there's another aspect too there of exercise, of course, can be a form of asceticism, you know. It's much easier just to sit there, you know, in a recliner drinking a cup of coffee than to to get up and, and go work out or get up and go mow the lawn even, you know, by, by pushing the push mower. So, yeah, it's all just so deeply intertwined in almost anything we do that in a, in a sense it's going to benefit our body is also going to benefit our soul and vice versa in, in one way or another. Yeah, thank you. Well, so um, for the next question, it's how can you make a simple syrup without um, uh, cane sugar? No, I'm joking, but <laughs> go for it, Sam. <laughs> No, no, I and I, I I appreciate that that balance. It always seems to come back to this 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 virtue of like of, of moderation or prudence, where you or you're you're keeping these forces in tension, where you're not going to extremes, and that's something you know that we're not very good at in the modern world. You know, again, it just seems to be kind of an all or nothing uh, approach. Um, but I love the balance that that kind of the, the classical teaching of the church uh, really emphasizes. I do um, have a question, though, and I don't know um, how specifically you get into this in the book, because I, I haven't had a chance to, to read the, the, the book yet. Um, but this idea of diet is incredibly polarizing in our culture today, partially because there's so many different approaches to it. Um, you know, you have the paleo, you know, the primal diet, you know, you have vegans, you have, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson's daughter promoting an all meat only diet sure. uh, that really healed her autoimmune issues. You know, 
you have this vast spectrum from literally only meat to no meat whatsoever, um, you know, and to no animal product or like low carb. Um, I, I'm waiting for the high carb diet to come out. I'm, I, maybe I'll write that one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but really like just so many different takes on this new diet books, literally every day, it seems like, and no one can seem to agree on anything. And then you also look around the, the world and you say, well, just go back to a traditional diet. Okay. Which one, you know, because in, in Asia, they eat a ton of rice and in India there's like curries and things like that. But you go to like traditional like Inuit diet in Alaska, they're eating like whale blubber and things like that. And and what you know, there's this question of like, what is a healthy human diet? No one can seem to agree. So I would love to hear your take on um this topic and maybe you address it in the book and and um what are some of your recommendations there? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Sam, because I, I do address this a bit in the book because I kind of give a list of these popular diets from A to Z. I can't remember which one I gave for the A now, but I do know I had the blue zones at the first start of the alphabet. We work our way down to the zone diet. You know, we cover a dozen or two, mm-hmm. you know, in between, yeah, from carnivore to, to total vegan, uh, a whole a whole variety of those protein power and so on. But yeah, and that's true. Different cultures throughout the ages has had some very, very different diets. Yeah, the Inuits, they're eating the whale blubber. The Maasai warriors in Africa living on uh, meat and, and milk and blood, you know, to people in tropical islands eating high high fruit diets in terms of, of coconut and different natural melons along with fish. Uh, so one thing I try to find is you kind of cut it, looking at all these diets, is there, any, is there anything they agree on? Hmm. Uh, and especially if you look back on different cultures, and if you go back more than 100 years or so, I say, well, in one sense, the commonality there is um, they're different. They're different foods, but they're all pretty much focusing on real foods. They're not getting their foods, these traditional cultures from the, the inner aisles of a grocery store. They're not reading an ingredient list that has 18 different ingredients, most of them chemicals you never heard of. So I think that the one commonality that cuts across most of these diets is they will recommend that you eat primarily real food. You know, the carnivores will say that should be, you know, meat and fish and eggs. The vegans will say that should also be, you know, vegetables and plants and grains. But even across these different extreme groups, it seems that I don't, I'm not sure I've read anyone recommending the, the high ultra processed food diet. <laughs> though, though it seems most of our food manufacturers, that's precisely uh, what they're doing. And there's been some great books written about that, how they add uh, salt and sugar and fat to achieve what they call the flavor um, flavor burst, the, the bliss point, and, and so on. So it's quite a science to try to hook us into these ultra-processed foods. So if I said, is there one commonality amongst these different diets? I say, maybe it's the fact that they're focusing more on real foods as God made them rather than man-made manufactured food-like substances. Yeah, something yeah. like yeah, and and certainly these large companies, um, <clears throat> for lack of a better word, feed off of our addiction because the more we um, are connected and, and addicted to what they're providing and have these bliss points and things like that that I've never heard of, um, the more money they make. And so 
Um, I, I had a question now. This just goes right in line with what uh, Sam brought up, but it's been something I've been wondering myself is that does our multicultural diet here in America negatively affect our bodies? So like um, when I, I've had a lot of uh, friends, I used to be a professional musician. I had a lot of friends from India or from Colombia coming up here. And when they were uh, eating these American diets, they started breaking out in acne and, and a lot of these uh, sort of uh, situations. And so I've been wondering, you know, if if there's, you know, a rise in, you know, celiacs or a rise in and some autoimmune diseases and things like that. Uh, is, is there any association with the fact that we used to only be able to eat what was in a, um, you know, a walking radius of of our lives? And now I can I can get every single possible, uh, you know, ethnic dish to my door with you know, press of my phone. So does that have a negative effect genetically speaking or anything like that? Is there any science behind that? Well, well, I do know it, it brings a few different things to mind. One is you have people who are eating their in their traditional culture, like the Japanese at a certain point in time, very, very low heart disease. <clears throat> but then the Japanese that come and live here in the United States, you know, a decade or so later, okay, now they're getting heart disease like, like we are. So there's a lot mm. of incidents of that where people come here eating more of our, our food. Is it because it's the multi, you know, ethnic, all these different types, or is it yeah. because so often they they move towards the, the processed type foods? Or maybe if we're having food here that it's labeled as a Chinese food or Japanese or whatever the culture, maybe it's not quite the way they actually do it back mm. home. You know, I don't know uh, for sure. But but I do think one thing that, that's real important is some people talk about the idea of as much as possible being what they call a locovore, which means local. Yeah, okay. trying to eat the food that, that's actually produced in your area. So it's more likely not to have been shipped all around the world and been filled full of preservatives and things like that. But I'll also say too, when I came across this research, there was a, a dentist named uh, Weston Price, yeah. who in the 1930s traveled around all these different cultures around the world. He's up, up there north of Scotland. He's over in Africa. He's in uh, Australia and New Zealand, the Pacific Islands. You know, he's He's uh, in South America, and he's finding that a lot of, though these diets are often very, very different, the people who were eating their traditional diets, he's found, usually had very, very good mental uh, dental health. They didn't all have to have their wisdom teeth yanked out. They were lined up right. They were less likely to get diseases of that, of that day, which like tuberculosis was a big one. But he found just one generation when the people in different parts of the world gave up their traditional diet and went more to our processed you know, canned foods, eating flour, eating high sugar in this, Often, the, even that next generation, the kids' you know, teeth were, were messed up. They were misaligned. Uh, they were getting decay. So I really think there's something to be said by eating real foods and you know, probably as much as possible, the foods that, that your ancestors ate or the foods that are at least available locally. Now, now, now for myself, like in my own thought, I'm thinking, well, should I shy away from you know, Indian food or, or particular nationalities food, this or that? You know, on my own personal case, I would probably say... Uh, Probably not. I, I would probably just say, examine the effect that it seems to have on me after yeah. I've eaten it and just pay close attention to that. Yeah, I like that a lot. I really appreciate you bringing that up. And it, it is true. So maybe there are all these people from, you know, different nations and countries coming to America, eating our diets, <laughs> struggling now with the same problems that that we're struggling with uh, because of of the various preservatives and, and you know, process that the food goes through. I think that's uh, a really good point. And 
Um, yeah. And very similar to that whole 30 diet. I know that's, uh, you know, made waves and you reintroduce things to try and figure out how your body, um, you know, could be rice. Rice doesn't affect me. Corn does like, I, I know that, you know? And so I think that's all, all such great points. Yeah. And I will say too, I found that myself, like that's one of the things that some of the people that are drawn to carnivore, like you mentioned, uh, uh, is it Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter? There, there's a few doctors that are really promoting this. And a lot of times it has been people who've had these like autoimmune disorders. They're not feeling good. Then they find when they're just eating meat, Hey, I, I feel really good now. But some of those people too, you know, they, they miss certain foods. They enjoyed certain foods. So yeah. So then you're going to slowly try to reintroduce them and, and see what works for you. And I will say, this is an experiment. I, I've done, done brief periods of just the carnivore myself, uh, but I found it didn't really make any difference for me. I, I enjoy eating uh, some berries, eating some vegetables. You know, I have some, some whole fat dairy products. And for my personal self, I noticed no difference in my function or the way I feel if I was pure meat or if I was also enjoying these other things. Oh, nuts too. I love pistachios and peanut butter, things like that. So, so, so much of it too can be based on your own unique metabolism and individual differences. So you need to experiment and see where you actually, uh, you know, thrive. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, that that idea of how does it affect you, I think that's really important too, because there's this assumption that everybody's the same. <laughs> and that, you know, a lot of these diets like, well, if it works for me, it must work universally, right? And and actually, I think St. Hildegard, it was who wrote a lot about nutrition and, and food, um, uh, doctor of the church now, uh, she she wrote about how there are different constitutions and how one person can eat an apple and it benefits them and another person can eat an apple and it actually uh, harms them in some way. Um, and so there's there are different constitutions and, and different foods um, affect us differently. So I guess a, a follow-up question to that would be, you know, we have, we're kind of inundated with this variety in our culture, so many processed foods. Um, again, it just, it's so easy to kind of hook us uh, on this just because of our, our busy lifestyles. Like you said, it's much easier to just go through a drive through somewhere sometimes than it is to take time to prepare a healthy meal. I guess, what are some of your suggestions? Because you've certainly been there and maybe you are there now. I don't know, but like but feeling that busyness, feeling that that pressure, you know, raising a family, things like that, and sometimes where it can be easy to default to a less healthy choice. Uh, do you have any like rules of thumb that you live by that, or, or, or advice that you would give to somebody who's kind of living the, um, you know, the unfortunately hectic modern lifestyles that we often get trapped in? And but they want to be, they want to be better about it. They want to be more conscious of what they're bringing into their bodies. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's, who's maybe struggling a little bit with that tension? Yeah, good question. And first, I want to thank you for the tip on St. Hildegard. I didn't realize that. So I have more research yeah. to do myself. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, but yeah, I, I would say there that, yeah, and, and having, you know, live busy lives. I do talk a little bit about the fact that many of these modern foods are called convenience foods because they're easy to make. Pop them open, throw them in the microwave or go through that drive through mm, That smells good. Nice and salty and fatty, you know. But but here, here's just one thing that I know my, my wife and I have done, because even though we're re retired, we don't have any uh, children or grandchildren living in the house with us. You know, at times we get tired. Hey, what's easy for supper? Um, but but here's, here's one change that, that we have made. We, we realized that throughout the decades, we kind of thought our, our supper had to be a pretty elaborate affair. 
So there might be a salad, there's going to be a bread, there's going to be a main course if it's like a meat or fish or chicken, chicken or something. There's going to be a vegetable or two, then there's going to be a, a dessert, you know, so this multi-course idea, uh, or, or like that your plate, every plate necessarily needs to be a rainbow. Well, not necessarily. We, we've simplified things by our dinners now by mainly having uh, a main protein and fat source, which might be a steak or seafood of some kind, shrimp, scallops, this or that, but just some main protein and fat source. And then often we'll just have one, one uh, vegetable or berries or something along with it. So we often just have two item suppers. But that, that main item, like the steak or the burger or the fish or whatever, is going to be fairly substantial. So it's going to fill us. Then we also have a small dessert we have uh, every night that's made out of uh, a Greek yogurt or, or cream or or uh, ricotta cheese with a little bit of protein powder. So we kind of have a, a little routine, but we just make it simple. Our meals have become much more simpler. We don't feel the need to have multiple courses in every meal. And then also it allows us to kind of plan ahead, you know, a few days down the road. Here's our main meat course, you know, here's our side dish. So I don't know, just in our case, we found that it really simplifies things and uh, it, it seems to work and we're not hungry because the foods that we do choose are always very uh, nourishing, satiating foods. Excellent. And kind of in that same point, but moving slightly away from food back into fitness, right? So your high intensity uh, training, what what do you suggest for men who uh, maybe have let themselves go for the last 10 years? Like, how do they get back into it? Is it cardio that that you would suggest? Is it, is it um, you know, using their body? I know Mark Lauren has a great thing that I've used quite a bit. You are your own gym. And, um, and or is it is it strength training? You know, what, what's going to make the best overall uh, wellness and health and benefit for somebody just getting going? Yeah, in, in one sense, it's almost like what they say about diet sometimes. The best diet is one that you'll stick with. Mm. And so for exercise too, there's certainly that element there that certain types of training just appeal to some people while, you know, the one man's meat's another man's poison. Certain forms of training people relish and they're more likely to stick to other types of training. No, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. So I would say for, to one aspect, find what you enjoy. There, there's value, of course, in cardiovascular or aerobic type uh, training. There's value in just normal rigorous activities, just walking or taking care of your yard. But I've always been a strength training man. And I, if I had to pick one, to me, that's the, the fundamental there. Uh, especially now I'm in my 60s and the older we get, the, the more likely we are to suffer from loss of muscle, sarcopenia, mm -hmm. then also mm -hmm. osteopenia, loss of bone. And strength training kind of really is the primary thing we can do to keep that muscle uh, intact. So I was going to say if a person didn't have a strong preference, but they were extremely limited in time, I would personally recommend, okay, then make some kind of strength training your foundation. And yeah, and it can be, you know, I mean, for me, I like to go to the gym, I like these machines or barbells or dumbbells or cable systems, but it can be using your own body, doing pushups, doing a variety of other exercises that you can do. And there's ways you can make them intense by increasing your repetitions or by, by slowing the repetition speed. But anyway, I, I point out to men too, like I did this for years. If you do one fairly, you know, demanding strength training workout as little as one time per week, and you try to make some kind of minor progress each time, it, it can make a world of difference. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's really encouraging because I mean, there can there can be uh, again like an all or nothing mindset where it's like I got to be hitting the gym like three times a week. You know, I got to be <laughs> bench pressing four hundred pounds or like say you know like just this. The and if I can't do that, then what's the point? You know, and and I think just acknowledging that it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, multiple times a week. It doesn't have to be hours a day. It can just be a little bit. 
uh, is very encouraging. But I, I want to kind of, we've kind of zoomed in on the specifics. I want to just back up just a little bit to a, a, a bigger picture level of, of why. You know, I, I remember when I was kind of more in the marketing world, the, the uh, Simon Sinek, what I, you know, the, the, the business guru would always talk about, like, start with why. And I think that's a good question because a lot of people might think, well, I don't need to be ripped, you know, like I don't need to have this super cut physique, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not participating in any sports and, and, you know, I feel pretty good right now. Like, I don't feel like I'm, you know, deteriorating majorly or whatever. And, and, you know, I, I don't know, like what I, I work at a computer all day or whatever. Why do I need to be doing this? And, and again, like, I know your answer to this might be a little bit different than just, you know, a fitness trainer and at the gym down the street, because you you're bringing, incorporating a spiritual dimension here, but I would love to hear your thoughts on like, why? Because I know when I've struggled and failed with like, you know, diet things like whole 30, like John mentioned, or things like that, where you feel like you're tempted to quit. You're like, you always wonder like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, why am I denying all these delicious treats? And like, you know, and, and then if you don't have a good answer to that, you're probably going to quit. So I would love to hear your, your thoughts on the why. Oh yeah. Good question. And I will say too, the ideally an ideal diet though, it is going to include elements that you actually enjoy and look forward to, you know, so, so everything you eat shouldn't be, oh, I got to force this down, you know, hold my nose. But but yeah, but the, in terms of that, that why, especially like, you know, uh, you know, young people, you know, I, I feel pretty good. I just have to work at computers, nothing, you know, nothing I'm asked to do. And in most of my own work life, you know, was desk was desk work, except the most active I was, I was standing up teaching, you know, leaning on a podium. But but yeah, you know, when you're young and, the, the, you know, praise be to God, most of us are going to live into older age in, the, in this country. Uh, and, and you may feel fine now, but as those years go by. If you're not properly caring for your body, it's going to sneak up on you. Uh, there's something called, you know, metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance that may underlie or be associated with all this obesity and diabetes. And it just creeps up gradually uh, over the years to where, um, you know, even myself, uh, when I turned 60 years old, I had a strength goal. I was going to deadlift 410 pounds for five repetitions. And I did it on the day I turned 60. But as I look back, my waistline was over 40 inches. My blood pressure was 159 over 91. I had a sore knee. I got reflux at night. And I thought, this is catching up with me. Even though I'm still strong, because my diet was not properly tended, my body in some ways was breaking down and you had to make significant changes. So I'll just say that, you know, even if you're young, these effects of how you take care of your body, what you eat and how you exercise, it's cumulative over time. And there could be reach a time where you think, boy, I wish I had been taking better care of myself when I was younger. But then also to be there to realize the same pattern is going to happen to your children someday. You know, so you want to set an example for them to to properly care for their body so they'll be vigorous uh, as they go throughout life. Now, is this going to guarantee that we that we live longer? No, no, not necessarily. All kinds of things. We never know, you know, when our time is going to come. And it could be some genetically based disease, or we might get run over by a truck, you know, but, but, but so that our, so that we remain as functional as we can throughout the rest of our life. And then also bearing in mind, moving from the physical level, that the, the healthier we are in terms of our diet and exercise, the more likely our brains are going to be healthy. We're going to be able to think more clearly, retain our memories, regulate our, our moods better. So we have the body, we have the mind. And then of course, there's also the spirit. We're also going to be in a regular pattern of showing God gratitude. Yeah, what I'm going to do today or 
what I, how, the way I'm going to go out and exercise or what I'm going to deprive myself and not have today, it's kind of tough, you know, but I'm going to do it out of gratitude for you. And the next time I do eat a treat that I enjoy, I'm really going to enjoy it, you know, even more. But I, so I would just say, yeah, this, it's important in any stage of your life because those years keep rolling on. And if we treat our bodies properly, they're going to stay strong. And if we don't, the, the damage is going to gradually accumulate. Yes. No, so terrific. And I'm really grateful for you uh, walking us through that and explaining that. So for my final question, uh, you have a new book. Uh, uh, is it Sophia Institute Press or just Sophia Press? Um, I think Sophia, I think they go Sophia Institute Press still. I think they're press. great. Okay, good. I'll have it in the show note. But what do you um, what do you hope men gain if they if they digest your book, if they pick up your book and they're going to go buy it? What do you hope they take away from it? Yeah, I hope men will gain a total appreciation for their body, whatever body type they have, you know, whether they're big or small or tall or short, a greater appreciation for the body and a will and, a, and an appreciation that God has given us bodies that we can strengthen, we can make them stronger, we can make them fitter, we can give ourselves more energy so we can be better husbands, better dads, better models for, for our children and for all those around us. Yeah, excellent. Well, and uh, my last question would be a, kind of a fun one. Uh, do you know any saints who were particularly uh, fit or strong? Oh, no, that, that's an interesting question. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas, some people say he was very, very large. Some people say he was obese. Others say he was just mighty and powerful, but that would have been his natural body habitus. I do remember some people describe his teacher, St. Albert the Great, as having the shoulders of a giant, <laughs> but mm -hmm. they weren't sure that that's metaphorical or not, just because you know, <laughs> so much uh, rested on him. You know, of course, St. Sebastian, I think, is our patron saint of Athens, yeah. but, but I will say, I can think of 23 saints in the making. I end this book with what I call temple tending tales. There's 23 current mm. Catholics out there uh, uh, who, who contributed essays, how they take care of their bodies. And one of them was actually uh, an actual Mr. Universe winner. And wow. others are involved in, in different kinds of fitness. So I think we have, we certainly have a lot of saints in, in the making who are realizing the importance of uh, caring for their bodies. Oh, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And actually, uh, unless something goes wrong, we've got uh, Sh uh, Sean Bryan, the papal ninja, is joining us next week. So he'll probably have <laughs> he'll probably have something to say about that too, an American ninja warrior and what he oh, does. Yes. So, Fantastic. wow, Kevin. Well, I'm just so grateful for you being here and uh, and joining us today. So thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, guys. Great questions. Awesome. And as we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a saint.